Amazing. Well, good morning, CWC. How y'all doing today? Are you good? Come on. I hope you guys came ready for a word today. If you're ready, shout, I'm ready. ready. Amen. Amen. So look, you know, there are messages that are taught or preached or however you want to say it, right? There are messages that encourage us. There are messages that, that strengthen us. There, there's messages that bless us. Uh, there's messages that remind us of God's favor on our lives. And, and, and all those messages are great, man. They're so important to be reminded of and to be strengthened by. And so they're important. Um, however, messages that convict us are equally important. Messages that confront us in the life that we're living equally important, I would make an argument, argue, argument that is the most important. And so that's just a pre-warning, like before we jump into what God gave me today. And so I hope you, you came ready for a word, uh, because there, there's a burden on my heart for this word. It's been stirring in my heart now for, for several, several, several weeks, because I've been, I've been thinking uh, about the church as a whole about the people of God, not just CWC, not limited to just CWC, although CWC obviously plays a role in the larger body of Christ, in the, in the larger church as a whole. And I've been thinking about, about the church and, and how we're doing as the church, like how the people of God are doing following God. Because the truth is very simply this, the Bible is clear, the Bible says that God desires and requires a people whose hearts are truly his, not partially his, not somewhat his, not, not his when things are going well, not, not his because I can get something from him. No, 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 no. That his eyes are roaming to and fro across the entire earth and he's searching every man, woman, and child's heart to see whose heart's truly his. Who is fully devoted to him. You know, Jesus makes this statement in in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. And and this is what it says. If I could have it up on there. This is what he says. He says, if anyone comes to follow me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. He is not worthy to follow me. And did you know the Greek word for hate there is hate? It's not like another meaning. Right? It's not another meaning. It literally means to hate, to disdain. That's, that's what it means. And, you know, what I find to be so wild and not just of what Jesus said and and how he said it, but also who he said it to. Because what you got to understand here is Jesus says this to a people that he just met. He just met them. These are brand new people that are coming to him. And this is this is this is what he says to them. And so he's not talking to a people that that know him. Right. Because then we could be like, well, you know, they know him, and so they know his heart, they know his intentions, and because they know him, they can read between the lines of what he's actually saying to them, as if we treat Jesus like, like 
he doesn't really mean what he says. Like he's just a shock jock that's trying to shock us into listening to what he's saying. No, 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 no. He's not. He's the word of God became flesh, dwelt among us. And we've beheld his glory, the glory of the only son of God. That's who he is. And, and this, is, this is what he, what he says. See, Jesus isn't like us. See, see we, we're funny because like we, will, we won't reveal everything to certain people. Right? Like when we first meet people, we, we, don't, we don't tell them everything we expect from them right up front. We don't, don't do that because we don't want to scare them off, right? Like, we don't, we don't want to scare them off. Sort of like when you, you, know, you met your, your wife for the first time, you went out on that first date. You didn't tell her like, hey, I'm going to need 40 years from you. Maybe even slave labor at times. Like, hard labor. Like, no. That's not what you said. No, no, no. You held stuff back from them. You didn't reveal everything you expected of them. And that makes sense to us. Like, yeah, 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 we should probably do that. Until we warm them up to us. And then we'll, we'll get them. Man, we do this in the church, man, like crazy. We do this a lot in the church. Like when new people come into the church, right? We're like, oh, it's so good to see you. And by the way, we're not being unauthentic. We're authentic. It's so good to see you. If you're a guest with us, that's not the point. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> super, super happy you're here. Online too, we love you. But, but what we'll do is, is we're like, oh, it's so good to see you. We're just happy you're here. We don't want anything from you and we don't expect anything from you. We have no commitment. We're not asking for any commitment from you. It's enough that you came today. We don't reveal anything. Fast forward a few weeks. goes by, hey, hey, you know what? I'm going to need you to serve at least once a month now. You've been here long enough. Starting to get to know you a little bit. So I'm going to need you now to, to, to serve at least, at least once a month. And then after they do that for a little bit longer, then we come to them again. Like, hey, now I'm going to need you to serve at least a couple times a month. And matter of fact, I'm going to need you to park like three blocks away from the church and then walk down to serve at the church a couple times a month every single month. But you can't park by the church. You got, you got, to, you got to walk, right? And not that I think all that is bad stuff. I walk a couple blocks from the church so that I leave parking spots open for people. And, and, and that's fine. I think that's great. I think that's great. But all I'm saying is that when we first meet people, we're really not that upfront with people. We're really not. We require nothing from people when we first meet them. But Jesus, Jesus does completely the opposite right here. The complete opposite. These people have just come to meet him. Like, like they come to kind of dip their toe in the pool of Jesus. Like you're saying, they came to test the waters. The problem was is they ran into the living water. And so when they came to just test the waters, the living water shoved them into the deep end. Boosh, swim. He didn't say, hey, get a floaty, go get a floaty, or, or start down at the kiddie pool and kind of walk in to get used to it. No, no, no. Boom. If you don't hate, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. He's like, this is what I require from you right off the rip, right out, right out of the gate. Now, 
<laughs> the thing about Jesus is, is he would be a PR nightmare. Public relations, oh, whew, I'd hate to have been his PR guy. Because it would have been an absolute nightmare. Because, man, I'm telling you, his PR guy would have been like, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to back that kind of talk down, Jesus. Like, for real, bro. If, if you want people to follow you, this isn't the way you go about doing it. You, you can't tell them to hate their mom. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell them to hate their dad and their kids. Like, it ain't going to help you none, Jesus. It ain't, ain't going to help you none. Because our polls show, like, just... Imagine with me for a moment. This is the PR guy for 2021 Jesus. He'd be like, you know, our polls show and our focus groups are telling us that people are kind of fond of their, of their moms. They kind of like their dads a little bit and they kind of like their children. Now, the other group showed that some people are okay with the idea of hating their wife because their wife's tough on them. But that's beside the point. So you might get by with teaching that Jesus. PR people for Jesus would have had a rough time. Like, man, you, you can't say this to a bunch of people that you want to come follow you. If you want your church to grow, you have to entice them. You can't confront them and make them uncomfortable like that, Jesus. You, you can't reveal to them everything you expect from them right up front. You can't tell them of what you require from them as a commitment from them. That's just not the way, that's not the way to go about it. But Jesus is like, no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I want everybody to know exactly what I expect from them from the moment they meet me so that they know what they're getting into. So that they follow me with their eyes wide open, not with their eyes wide shut. He's like, I'm not trying to trick someone into following me. And so that I tell them what they want to hear. No, no, no. I tell them right away what they need to hear, which is, if anyone desires to come and follow me, he must hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, and yes, even his own life. And if not, he cannot be my disciple. He's not worthy to follow me. And this is what he means. And he means what he says. Now what's wild, what's wild in this text is right after verse 26, Jesus begins to give all these sermon illustrations. Starts to lay out the cost of following after him. I mean, he just starts laying it out one after another. And then after he goes through all of them, hate your mom, dad, all them. And then this is why, and he begins to list the cost. And then in verse 33, he wraps up that context, that, that paragraph, by saying this. He says, so then, because I told you, so then, now that you guys have this much done, so then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. Wow. Man, Jesus. In other words, Jesus is very simply saying this to us. Not a single one of you, not a single person in the entire universe, if they are not willing to give me everything, cannot follow me. They're not worthy of it. That's his exact words. And they can't just give me some things, and they can't just give me most things. They can't just give me the things that they want to give me because those things are broken in them. No, 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 no. I want it all. I want the broken, I want the ugly, I want the good, I want every bit of it. 
nothing, hold nothing back. This is what he's, this is what he's teaching right there. And he says, if, if they aren't willing to give me everything, if they aren't willing to lay everything down in order to come after me, then they're not worthy of me. They're not worthy of me. Could you imagine how you would respond to somebody that talked to you like this the very first time they met you? Like, excuse me? <laughs> What'd you say to them, my good ear? Man, this is intense. But this is, this is what, he, what he says. Now listen, if Jesus asks for our feedback in this, right? Like if he asks for our feedback, which by the way, he's not asking for our feedback. He don't care about our feedback. He's just telling us the way it is. Thank God. But if he was... We'd be like, Jesus is saying how you build a mega church. There's no way. This ain't how you put butts in the seats, teaching like this. This is not how you attract a bunch of, of people. This ain't, this ain't how you get a bunch of likes on Facebook and have your Instagram page flooded with followers. This is, this is no way to go about that. This would be our feedback. This is what we would tell them. So what, 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 does, that, what does that tell us about him? I'll tell you what it tells us about him. His main goal was not a bunch of followers. It was true disciples. That's always been the goal. It's never been the goal to be appeasing to the masses. Matter of fact, Jesus, every time he preached the hardest message is when he had the largest crowds. Every time. 5,000 feeds them, 10,000, some scholars say. They come to follow him. The next day, he preaches the hardest message. Eat, my, eat of my flesh and drink my blood or don't follow me. What? What are we talking about? Vampire stuff. This is the kind of stuff he does. Now he got another huge following in Luke chapter 14. He says, ah, yeah, hate your mom and dad. And hate your kids too. Or you, you aren't worthy to follow me. He wants true disciples. He's wanting a people who will give up everything. Everything. In order to draw closer to him. This, this is Jesus' desire. And he's revealing this to us in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. But I've been, I've been praying and thinking about the church and just asking God, like, God, how, how are we doing as a people? Like, really, like, how, revealed to me by the Spirit, how we're doing in pursuing you the way you tell us to pursue you, not the way we think we should pursue you. Because those things a lot of times are two different things, by the way. A lot of times. Most of the time, probably. For me too, by the way. God, God show, show me. And as I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord about all this, I come across this study done by the Barna Group. Now, the Barna Group is just a Christian research group. They just research all about the church all the time. That's all they do. They just are researching church history, researching what's happening in the church, church trends, all that stuff. But I come across it, and it's a great resource, the Barna Group, if you want to look it up later. But I come across this study that they had been doing for several, several years. And what they found when they released the study last year was that, that this. From the year 2000 to the year 2020. So in 20 years, what they found was about 50% of the church stop, stopped practicing being Christians. About 50% over 20 years. What that means is they've stopped fellowshipping together. They've forsaken the gathering together, which means they've stopped coming to church. They've stopped praying. 
They've stopped reading the word of God and they've stopped worshiping the God that created them. 50% in 20 years. And do you know what that 50% number equals? 46 million people. 46 million people in 20 years have stopped following Jesus. And this should greatly, greatly concern us. Greatly concern us. And because, though, that, that's, that's the finding, that's the facts, then what we have to do is we've got to ask ourselves, why? Why is this happening? Like, like why is this, this happening? Right? We have so many people who've decided to turn away from Jesus and towards something else. And it's interesting to me because in John chapter 10, the Bible says this, that if the Son sets you free... You're free indeed. And there's no shelf life on that. Like there's no term limits on that. Did you know that? It's not like, okay, well, you give your life to Jesus the first five years, you're free. But then you got to renew the freedom. Mm -mm, there's no term limit. It's if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And that just keeps going through eternity. It never stops. Okay, cool. If you know the truth, the truth will, will set you free. Okay. All right, cool. Interesting. The, the Bible also so says this, that those who are in Christ have been clothed in Christ. Okay. The writer of Hebrews takes it a step further. The writer of Hebrews makes this statement. It is impossible for you to be a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, and turn and walk away from Jesus, and then come back to Jesus. It's impossible. That's what it says. The Greek word there, impossible. Cannot happen. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, so if the word of God tells us all of that, right? And we believe that the word of God is 100% true, right? First, that's got to be the baseline, which I do. Everything in it, I believe it. I believe it's the inherent word of God. Spirit-filled, breathed, it always comes to pass. This is God's word written for man. It's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path, taking us straight to Jesus. So I believe the word is 100% true. Not a single thing in it is wrong. Not one thing, not one period, not one comma. It's all perfect. So we got to lay that baseline, obviously. But if the word of God tells us all those, those, those scriptures I just, I just read, then how in the world could 46 million people do something different than what we just read. How can they do that? How can so many people go from being free indeed to bound again when there's no term limit, there's no shelf life? How, how, how does that happen? How can the Bible can say those, those that are in Christ have been clothed in Christ? So how did 46 million people who were once clothed in Christ all of a sudden take, take Christ off? unclothe themselves from Christ. How does, how does that happen? How does it happen? And so if you take all that information up, right, you take the 50%, the 46 million people, and you weigh it against the word of God, man, you got to ask some really hard questions at that point. Really difficult questions. And, and, and one of the questions would, would very simply, very simply be, be this. Were those 46 million people actually true disciples of Jesus? Hmm. Did, did they actually have an encounter with the truth 
Because again, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Right, right? The truth being the son. So, so did they have an encounter with the truth? And then, and then all of a sudden, choose something different? Hmm. Did they have a real faith encounter with God? Or didn't they? So that's one of the questions. Were they even a true follower of Jesus? The other question would have to be asked would be, well, were they even taught how to really follow Jesus? Or were they taught some other version of following Jesus? Were they ever really taught the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus requires of them, the commitment that is demanded of them, not asked, demanded. If you want to follow me, this is what you'll do, period. No negotiation, no back and forth. It's just, it's the word of God. So this is, these are really hard questions that we have to ask. And, and, and look, the, the church as a whole needs to answer that question as well. Like, are we, are we teaching people the truth? Or a, or a lesser version to make people feel good about themselves? Pastors and leaders all across this country got some, got some real, real tough questioning ahead of them. What are you doing with the full gospel message of Jesus Christ? Because I can be honest with you, man. I can go onto YouTube right now and I can type in sermons. And a bunch of different preachers will pop up on my screen. Fill my page up. Several pages, as a matter of fact. You can scroll over 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 pages. Right? But click one of them and start to listen to them, and it sounds more like a TED Talk than it does a spirit-filled gospel message of transformation. It sounds more like a help, you know, self-help seminar than it does a message of dying to oneself in order to gain Christ. It really does. Sounds like a lot of messages that preachers are, are trying to preach these days is all about people instead of about the king. Hmm. This is what we see all, all across the landscape of churches. I mean, my goodness, you, you can go and find 10 ways to live a happier life, five ways to overcome your anxiety a whole lot quicker than you can find a teaching on surrender and devotion, even though it's required. See, nowadays in the church, what we, what we see playing out right before our eyes is we find that people really love those messages on blessing. And again... I love to preach them. I love to hear them. We really love those teachings on prosperity. We do. In the church today, we love to be reminded that if God is for us, nothing and no one can stand against us. Amen. We love that. We love those teachings that, 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 that teach us he'll chase us down and fight till we're found. And he'll leave the 99 to get the one more. We love that. And, and by the way, we should. We should love it. It's, it's amazing because it's true. It's true. However, touch your neighbor, say however. However, and, and not but. I'm not going to use but because I was taught when I was younger that if you use but, you erase everything you just said, right? So not but, however. However. We love those messages. However, those messages are only part of the message. 
It's only part of the story. That isn't the full story. It's just not. Those are snippets in a much larger picture of a much fuller message called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means the good news, by the way. That's what gospel means, the good news. See, this this good news message is so, so much larger than I'm blessed in my coming and I'm blessed in my going. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. It's, It's so much greater than this life is about me. It's so much greater than how I overcome my anxiety. So much larger, so much larger than than us being happy and living our best life now. So much larger than that. Did Jesus come to seek and to save that which is lost? Yes, he absolutely did. Did Jesus die on the cross for you? Yes, he did. It's a beautiful thing. Did Jesus tear the veil? So that we could have unlimited access to our Father in heaven? Yeah, yes he did. Yes he did. And all of it's amazing. Because all of it's true. And we should rejoice in all of it. Enjoy all of it. However, there's still more to the message. There's more. Now that's a good part of the message. By the way, that's a good part. However, there's a better part to the message. And the better part is this, that Jesus did all that he did so that we could make our lives all about him. That's why he did it. He didn't do it so we could live our best life now. He did not. He left heaven to die on a cross, to tear the veil that we talked about last week, and then rose again so that we could make our lives all about him. Period. And there is nothing else after that sentence. It's period. That's why he did it. And so my concern with the, the church has, has, has been, man, is that because a lot of teachers and preachers are, are teaching only part of the message, a lot of people are only living according to part of the message. They're only living to, according to part of it. Because if you stop the message at Jesus did it all for you, well, then you think this life is all about you. And I can live however I want, because after all, it's all about me. I mean, Jesus did it all for me, so I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do. It's all about me. If you stop it there, but it doesn't stop there. This is how 46 million people walk away from the faith. Because they had no idea what it meant to actually be rooted in faith. To have a faith that endures to the end that is required. The only type of saving faith is faith that endures to the end. That's it. But yet they've been taught some other message. And they've stopped at that message of blessing and and all that stuff. Prosperity, which is great. I love it. Leaving out the requirements and the commitment that you have to make before the king. And again, it's not a negotiation, it's a requirement. You know, we're taught that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, that he comforts us in times of trouble. Yes, he does. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, our great comforter. But he does so much more than that. And his main objective on this earth and in your life is one thing, to reveal Jesus as the Christ. All the other stuff, nice, cool, benefits, sure. But his main objective is to reveal to you Jesus is king. 
king over it all, over every bit of it. A lot of people think that God had Jesus do what he did so that they could live however they want now and then just say sorry at the end of it. Oh, I'm sorry. As if that's okay. But the truth is, God had Jesus do what he did so that you and I could give Jesus everything. God did everything he did for us. He did it all for us so that when things in this life try to cause us to walk away from him, when when things in this life try to grab us and pull us away from him, things like sex outside of marriage, things like drugs and alcohol, things like pornography and fits of anger and rage and all these different things, things like that try to take us away from him, we have been empowered and strengthened to turn from that garbage and turn towards him and run after him. That's why he did it. See, Jesus, see, God had Jesus do all that he did so that when things in this life try to take our attention off of Christ, and listen to me, things that try to take your attention off of Christ isn't always bad things. It's not always bad things. Sometimes it's good things. Things like our careers that we got to have to feed our families. It's a good thing. But things like our careers, things like sports, things like hobbies, these types of things will try to take our attention off of Jesus, even family members. That's why Jesus covered the family thing. That's why he covered that in Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you what typically tries to pull your attention harder than anything are the good things. Because bad things are real clear to see. Yeah, I don't go to a bar. Of course I don't. I serve the Lord. That's easy. But man, I'm going to skip my devotion time to turn on some ESPN and not spend my time with my king. Those are the types of things that try to pull us away. And hear me, hear me. Anything that don't lead you to Jesus, it's taking you away from him. You can bank on that, I promise you. It's pulling you away from him if it ain't taking you towards him. And that's the reality that we find ourselves in. See, see, God did all that he did for us so that we would give him our full commitment. Our full commitment. But see, the church has taught this partial teaching. And you know what I've seen is that they've used the sinner prayer, the sinner's prayer, to back themselves up on this teaching. Like, yeah, you just say a prayer, and it's cool. Like, just believe in your heart, you know, confess with your mouth, and it's all good. But that's so far from the truth. That's part of it, but that's just the start of it. Like we can just say it one time and everything is fine. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, if you want to be saved, you want to be my disciple, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your wife, hate even your own life, then you can follow me. If not, you're not ready and you're not worthy. But see, that's way too controversial. I'm not going to hear a pin drop in here. Praise the Lord. That's way too, I know I'm preaching good then. But it's way too controversial, so a lot of preachers just won't touch it. A lot of churches will just ignore it. Don't even exist. Don't even exist. We'll just skip 26 through 33 in Luke 14. We'll just skip that. We'll go to something else. It's a little easier to teach. And because it's so controversial, they just don't pay attention to it. But this is the message that Jesus preached to the people that he met for the very first time. The very first time. He didn't warm them up. Oh, come on back. We'll wait a few weeks to actually tell you the truth. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. 
In Mark chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 19, there's a story there about the rich young ruler in the story. And in this story, what it is, this young, wealthy man, Jesus is in his town and city and he's healing all these people, doing all these miracles, amazing miracles. And right, right before Jesus leaves, the man gets up the, the nerve to run to Jesus. And he says, he says, teacher, teacher, the Bible says he falls on his knees and he says, teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, you know, don't, don't commit murder. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not defraud people. Don't bear false testimony and honor your father and your mother. The young man gets really excited because he's like, hey, I've done this from my youth. I'm good. But then you see verse 21 of what Jesus says to him after that in Mark chapter 10. And this is what it says. It says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. We'll get back to that in a moment. Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come and follow me. And then come and follow me. And what Jesus is doing here with this rich young ruler is so different than how the church would do it. It's so different, which is not good, by the way. That's not a compliment. It's so different. The fact that Jesus literally says this to the man and lets the man walk away. Jesus doesn't chase him down. Jesus doesn't try to negotiate with him different terms. Like, hey, you know what? You know, hold up, hold up. Let's start with just a little bit of stuff and then we'll revisit this later. He doesn't run to this man and start to, to say, hey, I just need a little bit of a commitment. All the commitment I said a minute ago, I didn't mean to say all that. Because I really just want you to, to come be with me. No, that's not what he does. Instead, Jesus tells him right up front, I'm going to need everything or nothing. This is what he says to this man. Everything or nothing. If you want to be my disciple, sell it all, give it all up, and come after me. And I love how verse 21, can we have it one more time, please? Verse 21, I love how it says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. It's amazing. He showed love to him by telling him exactly what he required from him. That's awesome. A lot of people would not look at that as being very loving. They'd be like, oh, that's a little harsh, I think. You know, that's a little harsh. But... But that's not what the word of God says. But you know, I was thinking about that. People who would think what Jesus was harsh here. You know, it'd be actually people, and, and again, I'm not trying to point fingers, but it would actually be people who don't understand who Jesus is. They haven't had a revelation of who he is if they thought he's being harsh here. Or harsh when he said, hate your mother, father. That's because you don't understand who he is. See, what you got to understand is that Jesus is the master of the universe. There's no one before him, no one above him, no one except him. He, he is everything. The Bible literally says that in him, in him all things were created. In him, for him, and by him. Everything in heaven was created by him. Everything on the earth was created by him. Everything underneath the earth was created by him. And it was all created for him. So this is why he can require everything, because it's all his. 
Because he's the master. He's the savior. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. This is why he can say that to you. And be just fine saying it. I want it all or nothing. I want your whole heart or none of it. And this is why he can require such a great commitment from us. This is why he can do it. Because he deserves everything from us. Because he created it all. And I'll close with this here. Mark chapter 5. It's a story about the demoniac. And the garrisons. And I'll set the scene up just a little bit for you. Jesus. He just feeds the 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. He heals, he heals all kinds of sick people. He walks on water. And now he's in a boat heading across the Sea of Galilee. All of a sudden, a hurricane arises on the Sea of Galilee. It says that the winds and the rains were so heavy that the waves was crashing into the boat to capsize the boat that would overtake the boat and kill the disciples. The Bible says Jesus was asleep underneath. He didn't even wake up. And these people are scared to death. They think they're going to die. Oh my gosh, we're going to die. You ever been in a hurricane? It's scary, actually. Super scary. They're like, oh my gosh. And I was in a hotel. I wasn't on a boat in a hurricane. Scared me half to death. (laughs) I couldn't imagine being on on, on the actual, on the sea when it's hitting me. They run down, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What are you going to let us die? He wakes up. He says, what's the matter with you? Do you still not know who I am? Do you still not get it? I'm, I'm the master of the universe. And he says, peace be still. And boom, in an instant, all the rain stops. The wind stops. The waves stop. And it's perfectly placid, not moving at all. And the Bible says this, that the disciples were terrified. They were terrified. They were like, oh my gosh, who is this I got in this boat? That not only did he heal some people, not only did he multiply, do this multiplication trick with the bread and the fish, that was cool, but now the winds and the waves obey him too? Who, who is this? Now he's coming across the Sea of Galilee. He arrives at the place of the, of the Gerasenes. A demon-possessed man runs out to meet him. As soon as he steps off the boat, here he is. And the demon-possessed man falls at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says he begins to beg Jesus, please don't torment us. Please don't torment us. We appeal to you by God, is what the Bible actually says. They're appealing to God. The demonic is appealing to God that Jesus don't rip their face off. That's literally what's happening. And the the demonic's sitting there and he's going, he's, he's begging Jesus. And Jesus says, what's your name? And the demon says, we're we're legion for we are many, which means thousands of demons lived in this one man. And Jesus says, okay, look, you're going to have to go. You got to get out of him. The demons say, please don't send us out of this region. Instead, send us into the pigs. There's a herd of pigs there. Jesus allows them to because they can't do anything without his permission. (laughs) They they, they can't. They can't. When he says something, it's over. It's just what it is because he's, he's all powerful. And so he says, go ahead. And they jump into these pigs and the pigs rush down the side of the mountain. And kaboosh, right into the sea of Galilee, kills them all. Drowns every pig. The herdsman was freaked out a little bit. He's like, oh, my pigs are dead. 
So he runs into the town and he begins to tell people like, hey man, this is wild what's happening outside of town here, man. Thousands of my pigs just ran into the ocean and died. And so the people, they gotta come and see what, what just happened. Like, what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? And so they, so, so they get out there to, to see. And this man that once was possessed by thousands of demons, that, that the Bible says they would, they would literally shackle him and chain him up. And he was so strong because of the demonic forces in him, he would snap the shackles and the chains. He would take stones at night and cut himself because of this demonic presence that were trying to, to take him out and to kill him and oppress him. He's, he was oppressed that bad. And all these people knew it. They all knew it. Matter of fact, he couldn't even be in the place in the town. He had to, he had to live amongst the tombs, amongst the dead people, because they wouldn't let him in there, because he was so out of his mind. And when the town people come to see what's going on, they see this demon-possessed man that they knew was out of his mind, sitting there completely in his right mind, having a conversation with Jesus, like nothing had happened, like I'm all good. And the Bible says that the people of the town were terrified terrified of Jesus and they begged Jesus to leave them alone now think about that just for a moment they begged Jesus to leave their region and not mess with them hmm. but, but the demon possessed man it says ran to Jesus and begged Jesus to allow him to follow him the demon possessed man that was just set free runs to Jesus and starts begging Jesus please take me with you I just want to be near you. I just want to come with you. I I just want to be, I want to be close to you, Jesus. And this, this story is, is the story the Lord used to spark this message in my, in my heart. That if I was going to title the message, it would be titled, go after him. Just like the demon possessed man. Understanding everything he did for you. Go after him like that, begging him. Jesus, let me be with you. Just let me touch you. Let me be close to you. Go after him like that. But I find this story so fascinating because it's these two opposite views, these two very different responses to the same situation. They just witnessed the same thing. The people in the town and the demon-possessed man just seen the exact same thing, but two very different responses took place. Why? They begged Jesus, the townsy people, the townies, they begged Jesus to leave. While the man who was set free begged him to take him with him. Why? I was like, Lord, why? Why would this, why would this happen? And this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, because when power and authority shows up like that, you have to bow to it. And these people in the town weren't ready to bow. When his power and authority shows up, there's only one thing you can do. It's bow at his feet. They weren't ready. See, they weren't ready for their, for their lives to be interrupted. See, Jesus come, came to, to, to bring real transformation, not behavior modification. He wanted to transform everything about their life, not just the parts they didn't like, everything. And they weren't ready for it. They didn't want to be interrupted. And they had things to do. They had places they were going. Right? They were building businesses. They were marrying and they were drinking and having fun in life. And they didn't want Jesus messing that up. Mm-mm. So you leave. You leave. Didn't want their lives interrupted. Because here's the thing. Listen to me. When Jesus shows up in your life, his power and authority 
interrupts and disrupts every part of your life. It really does. It flips it upside down. It flips it completely upside down. And so listen to me. When we choose to go after him, when we choose to receive him, what we are saying is we choose to give him everything, every part of us holding nothing back. That's what we're saying, whether we realized it or not. And when Jesus shows up in your life, he shows up to take over your life. He doesn't show up to take advice or to give you advice. He shows up to take over. It's not a partnership. Like, hey, Lord, we can kind of work this out. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Hate your mother, father, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own life. Then you can come follow me. This is what happens when he shows up. See, these 46 million people, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, these people turned away from Jesus because they didn't have an authentic faith with Jesus because they'd never been taught the commitment it required to follow him. They were taught it was all about them. And so when they figured out, wait a minute, man, this life is still tough. and I, There's nothing in me helping me to fight this stuff off because the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't living in there. Like, okay. And then, man, it's really hard to, to come back and say something different later. And so they walked away from the faith. Listen to me. Jesus did not tear the veil so you could chase your dreams. He tore the veil so you could chase him. That's why he did it. This is why he tore the veil. So that we could give him everything. Every part of us. See, we have to receive this full message of the gospel. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. It's all or nothing, church. It's the truth. Man, we got to allow him to change our lives so that we can pursue him the way he has required us to pursue him. So the only question that that has to be asked today is, is, have you received the full message of who Jesus is? Have you, you really counted the cost of what it means to follow him? Or does it just feel good to come into church and feel some goosebumps during worship and feel kind of good? Have you actually decided, oh, no, 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 for me and my house, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I don't give a rip come hell or high water. I'm going after him. I don't, I don't care what happens around me. I don't even care what happens to me. I'm going after my king. Because he has the power and the authority. And I'm going to bow before him. That's the question. You can just stand to your feet, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Yeah, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now in this place. Yeah, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for every single person right now, Lord, that you would start revealing to their heart the things that have distracted them from you that has taken their attention off of you, the things that they have went after instead of you. I pray you would reveal it to them right now and strengthen them to cut those things off right now. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray that right now. And Lord, I know there's hearts in here who are half committed and, and not sure how to fully commit. Well, I pray right now that, God, you would, you would ease that and that you would draw them in right now by the power of your spirit. 
pull them close to you. Let your kindness lead them to repentance. Right now, Lord. And I pray by faith, God, as we open these altars up this morning to offer prayer for people, offer a place where they can come and encounter you. I pray, Lord. I pray that when they get up here, God, as they step out of their seats by faith, they will encounter the truth in Jesus' name. Let them encounter you today, O living word of God. Living water, I pray. Let the wind of the Spirit blow in this place. Let the fire of God fall on the hearts of each and every person here. In Jesus' mighty name. So look, we're going to open the altars if you want prayer. Come and pray. I believe God wants to do something in you today. The worship team is going to play for a little bit, and then I'll be back up to dismiss this.